in 2 Samuel chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're working our way through this book of the Bible. I think this is message uh, 12 or 13 out of 2 Samuel. Excited to preach this tonight. In June of 1972, police arrested five burglars at the Watergate Hotel and office complex in Washington where they were attempting to place listening bugs in the offices of the Democratic National Committee. It quickly became apparent that the burglars had uh, links to President Richard Nixon. One of them, Bernard Barker, had a $25,000 check from Nixon's campaign in his bank account. By October, an FBI investigation had determined that the break-in was part of a massive campaign of political spying on behalf of Nixon. Congressional investigators started digging into the case in 1973. Nixon and his aides dug in their heels. Even after former White House counsel John Dean revealed that he'd had 35 discussions with the president about the cover-up. Nixon resisted turning over secret tapes of White House meetings. even fired the special prosecutor that his administration had appointed to at least give the appearance of trying to clean house. Eventually, when Nixon turned over a crucial tape, it had a mysterious 18 and a half minute gap in it. At that point, despite his earlier claims of, I quote, I am not a crook, nobody believed him. Two years later, in July 1974, after the House of Representatives passed the first of three articles of impeachment against him, Nixon finally quit. Watergate has gone down as probably the biggest presidential scandal or one of them. Certainly one of the most unsuccessful cover-ups in the history of the White House. Last week we studied the scandal, not at the White House, but at King David's house. As he stayed home from war, then he walked out into his roof. He saw a beautiful woman bathing herself, became fixated on her, then committed adultery with her and ended up getting her pregnant. What was fun in the moment became miserable. What follows this scandal in David's life is exactly what followed Richard Nixon's scandal, an attempt to cover up the wrongdoing. And like Nixon's attempt to cover his sin, David's cover-up would prove to be very unsuccessful. Before we jump into our text and discover the specifics of David's cover-up, I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 on the screen. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Well, what's the alternative? Well, whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I want to focus on the first part of that verse. He that covereth his sins, hideth them, burieth them. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. Those who attempt to cover their sin will not be successful. That's really the big idea of the sermon tonight. I want you to take this home with you. There is no such thing as a successful cover-up. We're going to learn that from our text. There is no such thing as a successful cover-up. When sinners are trying to cover their sin, they feel successful. They feel invincible. They feel like an exception to the rules. But sin always catches up with the sinner. There is no such thing, Solomon tells us, no such thing as a successful 
cover-up. Here's how the message will be structured tonight. We're going to read the text at large, verse 6 to verse 27. I'm going to explain the text to you briefly. And then I'm going to make five points of application and we'll go home tonight. So I want you to follow along as we read these verses. 2 Samuel 11, get your Bible out. Verse number 6. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Here's David trying to cover his sin. And Joab sent Uriah to David. Uriah, if you remember, is Bathsheba's husband. When Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how the war prospered. David said to Uriah, go down to thy house and wash thy feet. It's a euphemism for go spend some time with your wife. Middle of eight. And Uriah departed out of the king's house and there followed him a mess of meat from the king. That's just basically a gift. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his Lord and went not down to his house. And when they had told David saying, Uriah went not down into his house, David said unto Uriah, Camest thou not from thy journey? Why then didst thou not go down into thine house? Uriah said unto David, the ark and Israel and Judah, Biden tents, my Lord Joab, the servants of my Lord, there encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into mine house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? As thou livest and thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. David said to Uriah, tarry here today also and tomorrow I will let thee depart. So Uriah abode in Jerusalem that day and the morrow. When David had called him, he did eat and drink before him and he made him drunk. And at even he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. And it came to pass in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab. He's going to try a third time. And sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle, and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. came to pass when Joab observed the city that he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. The men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some of the people, the servants of David. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king, and if, if, if so be that the king's wrath arise, and he say unto thee, wherefore approach ye so nigh into the city when ye did fight, knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth, and did not a woman cast out a piece of millstone upon him from the wall that he died in Thebes? Why, why went ye nigh the wall? Then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger went and came and showed David all that Job had sent him for. The messenger said unto David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out unto us into the field. And we were upon them, even unto the entering of the gate. The shooters shot from off the wall upon thy servants and some of the king's servants be dead. And thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So Joab did what David wanted him to do, just kind of improvised on the plan a little bit. Verse 25, look at David's response. Then David said unto the messenger, thus shalt thou say unto Joab, let not this thing displease thee. For the sword devoureth one as well as another. Make thy battle more strong against the city and overthrow it and encourage thou him. David's cold, he's calloused. Verse 26, and when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the morning was past, look how quick David covered up. David sent and fetched her to his house and she became his wife and bare him a son. And the last phrase is going to show us why your cover up will never be successful. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. David makes three attempts to cover up his sin. 
The first attempt to cover up the sin was what he figured would be the easiest thing to do. He wanted to get Uriah to come off the battlefield, go home, and sleep with his wife. It would make it look like Uriah is the one that got his wife pregnant. That should be easy. He's been on the battle lines. He's been away at war. The text says that his wife was a beautiful woman. Who wouldn't want to leave the battle lines and come spend a night in your own bed with your beautiful wife? The hope of David was that in nine months, the Hittite family would be celebrating their new addition. Even if the baby looked a little bit more like the king than he did Uriah. David even sends some kind of gift to Uriah and Bathsheba, maybe some kind of gift basket to help create a celebratory mood. But what does Uriah do? He stays at the palace. He sleeps outside of David's door with the other servants and soldiers. When David asked Uriah why he didn't go home as he was ordered to do, he told the king, King, it's wartime. It's not peacetime. Men, my fellow comrades are out there battling for our country. And, and, and my leader, Joab's out there battling for our country. And I'm not going to relax at home and find pleasure while they're out there doing what I should be doing. So cover up attempt number one failed. David tries a different route. He deliberately now tries to get Uriah drunk the next day in hopes that he'll loosen up and be less principled. Then he'll go home and sleep with his wife. As verse 13 describes, even when he's drunk, Uriah is no less dedicated. Bathsheba has to sleep alone again because Uriah still refuses to go home. Now I want you to think about this. It must have been an agonizing night for David's conscience. As he realized that a soldier who was drunk had more integrity than the king who was sober. This might be proof that a desire to protect one's reputation might be more debilitating to one's mind than alcohol. I'm not condoning drunkenness by any means. Just highlighting that a man who's caught up in a cover-up has worse decision-making skills than a drunk man. So David has attempted twice now to put Uriah in a position where it would appear that he impregnated Bathsheba and it's backfired on King David twice. Now the only thing left to do in David's mind is just kill the guy. And the only way he's going to get away with it is if he makes him a casualty of war. And if he becomes a casualty of war, Bathsheba becomes a legal widow and David's sin of adultery can be legitimized. So David ordered that Uriah put, or Joab put Uriah at the front of the battle line where fighting was most intense and dangerous. Then he ordered that Joab withdraw from helping Uriah so that the enemy could kill him. That's what happened. Sadly, Uriah died on the battlefield, plus some other soldiers who were on the front line with him. Even worse, we read in verse 25, when Joab sent a messenger to tell David that Uriah and some other soldiers had died in war, David basically says this, oh, it's okay. You know what? You know what? You lose some and you win some. Just part of fighting. Let's go on. This is the king who just a chapter ago displayed the kindness of God to people who didn't deserve it. Now he's murdering people who didn't deserve it. Covering up your sin, friend, listen, in an effort to protect your image will turn you into somebody you never dreamed of becoming. Five points of application. Number one, cover-ups are predictable. What I mean by that is that it comes at no surprise that David sinned and then immediately defaulted to trying to cover it up. This is the predictable response from every human being that messes up. 
We don't naturally confess our sin. We naturally conceal our sin. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And Cain. And Joseph's brothers. And Moses. And Achan. And Peter. And Ananias and Sapphira. Cover-ups are all throughout Scripture to show us that this is part of our sinful nature. Now, we may not cover up our sin the same way David did, but we have our own ways. Some try to cover their sin by blaming everything and everyone else. Some try to cover their sin by distracting themselves with positive pursuits, maybe with a secret hope that the good will balance out the bad. Some try to cover their sin by minimizing their sin. Oh, it's, it's not a big deal. Everybody's overreacting. I'll never be perfect. It's just one of my bad habits. It's kind of a personality trait. Some try to cover their sin by denying that it's even sin in the first place. Oh, come on. Can't you take a joke? We're just having fun. These are just natural desires. There's nothing wrong with it. Some try to cover their sin by surrounding themselves with people who will agree with their sin. And even affirm them in their sin. They're not going to get around people that will challenge them for the way they're living. They're going to get around people that will affirm the way they're living. It's a way they can conceal what they're doing. Some try to cover their sin with religious formulas. If they go to church, confess their sin, sing a few songs, pledge to do better the next time, they can soothe their conscience without ever truly making things right. Some try to cover their sin by taking their cues from David. They just lie. They hide, they manipulate to keep themselves from receiving the blame. This is what we do most naturally after we mess up. We cover up. But there's something else to be learned here. Cover-ups are challenging. When we attempt to cover our sin, what we're actually doing, hear this, is we're trying to control all the factors involved. We start playing chess to avoid being caught. But here's the challenge of that. We can't control every factor. See, David, had he had learned for the last several years to be crafty as he spent years running for his life from the maniac King Saul. He learned how to manipulate. He learned how to get himself out of difficult situations. He learned how to preserve himself when, when life got dangerous. But now, David's having a hard time getting that done. He's realizing that he can't control all the factors. He realized that when Uriah refused to sleep with his wife two separate times, it dawned on King David that Uriah had his own free will. And on top of that, Uriah had a high measure of integrity. It dawned on David, wow, I'm powerful dude. I'm a rich dude. I'm an influential dude, but I can't control Uriah. Listen, you can try to control every factor to keep you from getting blamed or to keep you from experiencing the consequences of your sin, but you will not be able to control every factor. At the end of the day, you can erase the history on your computer. You can delete the text messages off your phone. You can get rid of the emails and the voicemails, bribe others to remain silent, destroy the evidence. But after all of that, you still won't have everything under your control. And listen to that. Listen to how this made David feel. I don't have it on the screen. You need to listen to my words. Psalm 32. When I kept silence, David's confessing. When I kept silence, my bones wax old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, God's hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. David confessed that the longer he tried to keep this thing silent and and keep others silent by controlling all the factors, the more it hurt him emotionally 
and physically. This is why lying is a really hard game to keep up. See, the point is you're going to drive yourself crazy trying to manage the challenges of a cover-up. There's just only so much you, you can control. You're going to be worried sick, always looking over your shoulder. May I tell you as your pastor, that is no way to live your life. The pain that you'll endure from confessing your sin will ultimately be less than the pain you'll endure for covering your sin. Leads us to our third point, cover-ups are dangerous. See, when you realize you can't control the factors, here's what's so dangerous about that. You might be willing to go however far you need to go in order to, that, that your sin remains hidden. King David was willing to murder a man, one of his own men and his own comrades, just to keep his reputation intact. What started as an attempt to give one of his soldiers a little R&R turned into David giving one of his soldiers a death sentence. That's the danger of cover-ups. When one cover-up fails, another attempt will be made that's more risky and more dangerous. And once you start down the slippery slope of covering your sin, it can get ugly very quickly. You may do things or say things or use people in a way that you never dreamed you would. And here's an accompanying danger that goes along with that. Not only will your attempts to cover your sin escalate and intensify, but your heart will grow more and more callous the longer you cover your sin. When Uriah stood up to David with integrity and said, I will not do that. You know how much courage that took, Uriah? You don't tell the king no. When he looked the king in the eyes and said, that's, that's a line I will not cross. You know what that should have done? That should have informed David's conscience. Especially when a drunk man told him that. But David ignored his conscience and his heart grew calloused. All the way to where we see him at the end of the chapter after having murdered a man, after having made Bathsheba a widow, so calloused he just blew it off. No big deal. This is the same king who back in 2 Samuel chapter 1 was lamenting over the fact that his enemy just died. King Saul. David rent his clothes. He mourned. He fasted. His heart was soft and tender, but now it's hard and calloused. He shed many tears over the death of his enemy, but he doesn't shed a single tear over the death of one of his mightiest men. That's how you know your conscience is seared. Soon as Bathsheba was done grieving, he said, go get her. She's going to be my wife. He wanted to do that as soon as possible. So that, so that the baby, the pregnancy could be viewed as legit. He was cold. Listen, please hear me. If you're covering your sin tonight, you should stop for no other reason but to keep your heart from getting calloused. To keep from searing your God-given conscience. That is a dangerous place for a Christian to be. The more you tolerate your sin, the less you're affected by it. Leads me to the fourth point of application. Cover-ups are tragic. The tragedy of cover-ups is the collateral damage that it causes. The people that it hurts. A man lost his life. A woman lost her husband. A mom and dad lost their son. A group of faithful soldiers lost their lives. While David was attempting to gain immunity, everyone else was losing. That's the case with every other cover-up in the Bible. Others suffered because of the sinner's lack of willingness to confess their sin. 
Let me ask you, who in your life tonight might be hurting or grieving because you refuse to deal with your sin honestly and humbly? Your spouse? Your kids? Your parents? Your friends? Your spiritual mentor? Your church's testimony? Your sin is hurting somebody, I guarantee it. I would urge you to consider the collateral damage before you go any further. Up to this point in the application, we've mentioned how our sin affects us, how it affects others. But there's one person we haven't mentioned, and the narrator of the story didn't mention this person one time until the very last phrase of the chapter, and that's God. The last phrase of the chapter says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Point number five, cover-ups are foolish. You know what the foolishness of a cover-up is? You somehow think God doesn't see it. You somehow think that you can get away with it. Somehow think that you'll be successful. David thought he'd finally covered up for good. I mean, he knew it wasn't easy. It was painful. He went a lot further than he thought he would have to go. But at the end of the day, he got the job done. And now it's just time to go on with his life. His reputation is still intact. Hopefully everybody remains silent. He's dusted off the evidence. He's going to turn this chapter in his life and hopefully never repeat it again. He's preserved his reputation at all costs. But this thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Hebrews 4 verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. David knew better than to try to do something where God couldn't see it. Do you remember Psalms 139? Oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. David's writing, thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there's not even a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I send up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. David knew better. But can I be honest with you? Sin makes us stupid. How foolish it is to think that an omniscient, omnipresent God cannot see everything we do and everywhere we go. This is why Solomon said that those who cover their sin will not prosper because God won't let it happen. Sin displeases God deeply. He'll he'll do things in his grace, hear me, along the way to to poke at our conscience. He'll send some Uriahs our way to soften our hearts and get us to see the error of our way and get us to confess with humility. He'll give us a way to escape temptation. But if we don't, his displeasure with us will increase and eventually he'll allow our sin to be found out the hard way. That's what we'll see in next week's sermon. David's sin was confronted. And it was one of the hardest days of his life. In summary, here it is. Cover-ups are predictable. It's our nature. Cover-ups are challenging. We can't control all the factors. Cover-ups are dangerous. There's no telling what we'll do to keep our sin hidden. 
Cover-ups are tragic. Innocent people always get hurt. And cover-ups are foolish. You can fool everyone around you, but you'll never fool God. Pretty strong case to solidify what, what the wisdom of Proverbs tells us. He that covereth his sin will not prosper. Four statements and I'll be done. Number one, don't let your cover-up begin. Confess early. Just don't let it get started. You're going to mess up. So get in the habit of saying two painful words. I'm sorry. And say them as quick as possible. In your marriage, say them quick. To your kids, say them quick. Especially to the Lord, say those words quick. Resist the natural urge of your flesh to shift the blame, to deny, to minimize, to hide, or to justify. I'll give you some encouraging news if you're a child of God. Instead of burying your sin, remind yourself that your sin has been buried with Christ. Romans chapter 6 verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so we also should walk in newness of life. I I love that this verse gives us assurance. That we never again have to bury our sin. Because our sin has been dealt with by our Savior on the cross. We don't have to be scared to confess our sin to God. Through Jesus he's promised forgiveness not judgment. We may have to endure present consequences for our sin. But if you're a child of God, you don't have to endure eternal consequences. May I remind you that every time David messes up, we're reminded we've got a better king. David sinned and Uriah died. Our king is better. We sinned and Jesus died. The passage told us tonight that the king of Israel handed one of his own soldiers over to death in order to cover up his sins. But the gospel tells us that the king of heaven has handed his own son over to death in order to cover and atone for our sins. This is why we don't have to play pretend with God. Confess your sins because through Jesus Christ, God has forgiven you. But God will never be able to heal what you continue to hide. God will not help you to conquer what you refuse to confront. So be honest at the front end of your sin when it's small. And that'll save you a lot of trouble. Number two, don't ignore your conscience. Stop while you can. We've got testimonies among our congregation tonight that if they could hit the rewind button, they would have stopped a lot sooner. If God sends a sermon your way, a friend your way, a parent your way to inform your conscience a little bit, you would do well to accept that as a means of grace in your life. That is God's way of putting a stop sign in your way. It's God's way of telling you that there's danger ahead. Do not proceed. Oh, if you don't hear anything, hear this. Stop covering your sin before you let your heart get so callous that you stop caring about your sin. Stop covering your sin before you let your heart get so callous that you stop caring about your sin. Number three, don't forget who you are hurting. Think before you cover. Don't just think about what you stand to gain. Think about what you stand to lose. You may lose the respect of those who love you the most. You may lose the trust of someone you love the most. Sin makes us stupid. Sin makes us selfish. So before you head down that path of cover up, think about others. Number four, don't assume you'll be an exception. God sees it all. 
God wouldn't let his covenant king get away with it, what makes you think he will? God loves you too much, hear me. He loves you too much to take his eyes off of you. Even when you've taken your eyes off of him. It's foolish and it's arrogant to think that we'll be the exception to God's omniscience and omnipresence. That will somehow fool him. Here's what the Bible says. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That means if we respect who God really is, his omnipresence, then we'll have the wisdom to say no to sin more often. But be encouraged. Be encouraged. The same God that sees it all is the same God that invites you to pray as Jesus taught us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God isn't up in heaven saying, who can I catch in their sin tonight? No, God is up in heaven waiting to help you fight your sin and resist your sin and stay free from your sin. That's why I'm thinking that Leah's song might be a fitting conclusion. Because that song is a prayer. It's a promise. He will keep me from all evil behind you and before. He will sustain you through this journey from now and evermore. Even if this part of your journey is a mess of your own making, God will still sustain you. But not if you try to cover it up. Confess your sin to him. And that promise of his provision and protection and love will be applicable in your life. Some tonight literally need to come uncovered. Keep your clothes on. But your sin. That's why I read my notes when I preach. You, you need, you need to get honest before God. I'm not your high priest. So you don't need to meet with me somewhere. You need to talk to God first. You need to claim God's forgiveness in your life. And then some of you need to take a second step. You need to get some help. You need to be honest with a brother or sister in Christ, a spiritual mentor in your life, a spouse. Sin grows when it's in the dark. It shrinks when it's in the light. Some of you need to quit covering up what God is ready to help you conquer. Quit doing that. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and he will exalt you in due time. He'll give you the grace you need to stiff arm that sin in the future. So Leah, why don't you come? And Nino and Rebecca, why don't you come? Let's, let's have them sing this. As they sing this, let's just all be in an attitude of prayer. Okay, some of you need to come to the altar. That's, that's appropriate. So come to the altar. We're not going to stand. We're going to sit. Come to the altar as they sing this. Pray where you're at. Close your eyes. Listen to the words of the song. Pray that prayer that Jesus modeled for us. Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil this week. Oh, God, help me take the mask off. Help me to quit coming to church and putting on a show. Rid me of this hypocrisy. Help me to stop caring more about what people think of me than what you think of me. Help me to get out of image protection mode all the time. Help me to get real with you. No more excuses. No more minimizing. No more justifying. No more denying my sin. God, help me to be right with you. I claim your forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ tonight. And I need your grace. Let's get real with God. And then claim this promise that he will keep you from all evils. Sustain you before and behind. Father, 